so um, there's, there's a guy, uh, I don't know how I stumbled upon this. Um, oh, I remember now. I was reading a book. And um, there's a man named Kevin Kelly. And if you don't know who he is, he's a writer, photographer, publisher, and conservationist. But uh, most famously, he's the co-founder and the first executive editor of Wired Magazine, which is like a really famous kind of technology magazine that's been around for quite a while. And uh, not as well known uh, is that he was featured on This American Life, which is a uh, PBS uh, radio show slash podcast now. And so when he was 27 years old, he went into Jerusalem on Easter as a photographer. And so he was just there to take pictures and kind of to take pictures of some religious ceremonies and uh, just kind of do that. Uh, but he found himself locked out of his hostel in the evening. And after wandering the streets of old Jerusalem late at night, he went to one of the only places he could find that was still open, which is the Holy Sep Sepulchre Church, where tradition says, uh, the tradition says that this church was built on the site of Jesus' crucifixion, death, and resurrection. And so he couldn't find anywhere else to sleep because he's locked in the old city of Jerusalem. And so he ended up falling asleep on the only flat area he could find which was the marble slab where, again, tradition says that uh, the crosses had been discovered, right? <laughs> so, and there's like incense and stuff laying over it, but he can't find anywhere else to sleep. So he just finds this flat area and he lays down on it late at night, <laughs> um, which is like, you know, people, people have like prayed there and poured stuff. And anyway, uh, so he falls asleep and I'll let him take up the story here and the quotes on the screen. Uh, so I slept there. I slept on the crucifixion spot on that night because it was the only place. I slept there until early morning when the activity started to increase and people started coming in. And I went out and followed the crowd where it was going when they were going out to the tombs, the, the tombs area in Jerusalem. And I went out and there were some folding chairs set up in front of this tomb area. And as the sun was coming up on that Easter morning, um, at this point, I, my, our printer, the office is broken and the words are gone. Um, which I made a joke with Tyler that this wasn't going to be a problem, and now it has. So essentially, let's keep going, though. <laughs> uh, that I'd been wrestling with for the past many, many years and thinking about religion sort of became resolved in my mind. And at that very moment, I believed that Jesus Christ had indeed risen from those tombs. So this is remarkable. Kevin suddenly found that he had been gifted faith in the resurrection of Jesus, uh, this is not to say that the marble slab has magical properties, uh, nor do I want to get into a large discussion about the tr tradition of the church and all that stuff, but uh, he found that he had been gifted faith in the resurrection of Jesus, and this changed the lens by which he saw everything else. And so he goes on to tell the story, it's really fascinating, that for some reason, he suddenly started to believe very strongly that he should live as if he had six months left to live. And he wasn't sure what that meant, but he couldn't shake this feeling. Um, and so it's a fascinating story. I won't spoil it. Um, it's a really cool interview. It's audio, but there's a transcription also. And uh, we'll send out the link in the newsletter this coming week uh, and, and get it on social media. But one, one thing I will say is that, so he lives, he, he feels convicted to live as if he has six months left to live. And the one thing I'll say is that his bucket list of things to do before dying is radically different from what you might expect uh, if you go and go on social media and, and type in like bucket list or whatever, right? Uh, and and the, the, the interesting thing about it is that it smells a lot like what Paul is telling the Ephesians to do. And so that's the preview I'll give you of that. But uh, the reason why I bring this up is that Kevin suddenly found himself a believer in the resurrection, supernaturally prompted to suddenly see and live his life 
in a different way. And he's prompted to live his life with an urgency and purpose that he didn't previously have. And Paul is addressing the Ephesian church in this letter, and that this church that's gone through its own kind of lens correction, right? Or as I've mentioned in a previous sermon that we preached out of Ephesians, uh, a reorientation. And so let's, to, now to remind us or to bring you up to speed if you're new this week, uh, the Ephesian church was comprised of people who until then, they were living in a wealthy port city that was, center, that was a center of learning and along key travel routes in that part of the world. So that might remind you of a place you live right now. Um, and when the good news about Jesus was told to them, they suddenly realized that all they had believed about Jesus had changed their view of the past and present and future, why they were where they were and for what purpose. And so similar to the last time I was able to share from the word of God with you, let's remember how Paul is reminding the Ephesian church of their new supernatural orientation. Remember, letters like this were usually just read in one sitting. So we're not gonna do that, but I'm gonna take you really quickly through to the present point as we're really in the final verses of this entire book. So chapter one, he talks about who they are. And who they are, in summary, is that they're blessed in what Jesus has done in their midst, and, and that Paul is thankful and praying that they would see this more clearly. Chapter two, he then talks about where they came from, that they were separated from each other and under the curse of sin until they receive this blessing in Jesus, the sacrifice he pays for their sins, which makes them family where there was no family. Both Jews and non-Jews are now part of a new family, which is neither Jewish nor Gentile, but God's family. So he creates sort of a new family in him. Chapter three, he talks about who loves them. He talks about the incredible love of God for them. And he also, Paul talks about his love for them. He says, I get down on my face and I pray that you'd know the incredible love of God for you. There's a grand prayer in there. And then from chapters four through six, which we've been going through the last several weeks, he talks about what they're supposed to be about as the family of God. They have to remember their identity as the body of Jesus by maintaining their unity across cultural and ethnic lines, across these differences that would usually prevent them from having anything to do with each other. What are some of those differences for us? Remembering the gift of the leaders God has given them in order to help them pursue that unity, to trust their leaders, turning away from attitudes and desires that are a part of their old lives and the ways of the world. So to put away merciless criticism and anger, graceless thoughts and attitudes, uh, the pursuit of pleasure above all else, drunkenness, sexually immoral behavior, and instead, he calls them to imitate Jesus himself in his kindness and his humility in his mercy, his patience, and his sacrificial, sacrificial love for one another, both in the church and especially in families in the church. And so remember, as we learned last week, he also talks about the fact that there's an enemy in this battle. There's an enemy in this battle to pursue relationship with God and to live the lives that God longs for us to have. A fallen angel, Satan himself, and his forces, or uh, as I tell my kids, a, a bad angel. That's kind of how we, we, we start with, with explaining the enemy to them. And so Satan is set against us. He seeks in particular to take advantage, we see in Ephesians, of our anger. Not that the anger itself is wrong, but to take advantage of that anger and funnel it towards speaking ill of one another, of having wrath and anger, slander in our mouths, instead of redeeming, kind, and merciful talk that God delights in. Because see, the redeeming, kind, merciful talk, it restores and redeems relationships instead of destroying them. And so this letter shows us how our horizontal relationships in the church and family, that they're, they're really intricately tied to our relationship with God. He's talking about the relationship with God, but 
this relationship that we have with one another is so crucially interwoven. And so a lot of times, uh, if some of you grew up in the church, or even if you just kind of assume how faith goes, you may assume that this is primarily about a relationship you have with God individually, and that that's the most important thing. And so I've run into many people, they say, you know, well, me and God are good. I just, I don't like anybody else. I don't like the church. I don't like people. And while it is true that, that uh, many people have done awful things in the name of the Lord, and that indeed people have been deeply hurt by the church and by relationships, uh, what we see scripture tells us is that these things are brought together, that they are in unity with one another. And so if your relationship with God is to be pursued, you must pursue relationship with other believers. And we, the way we see that relationship happening in the New Testament is always in the local church. It's not to say that those relationships can't happen other ways, but we see that this is the primary way uh, that scripture and the Lord talks about us having a relationship with his body. You see, Kevin Kelly even, he may have had this mountaintop experience sleeping on the marble slab in this temple in Jerusalem uh, or in this church in Jerusalem, but even he was driving, driven from that kind of isolated experience into relationships with others. And so um, if, if you're not a Christian this morning, this is kind of what our good news is, right? We've talked about it some from the stage already. We've talked about what we're about. But this good news is that God has reconciled us with himself and one another, and that he's calling us into the kinds of relationships that have been broken since the fall. Relationships that seem normal that you would have nothing to do with so-and-so or so-and-so. He's saying, I'm bringing you into relationship with others in addition to being restored with me. Is this kind of something that you you understand and see. See, the rest of this makes no sense. The rest of this sermon, the rest of what comes from here doesn't make any sense unless you understand that this is good news and this is the good news we adhere to. And I think even if you're a believer this morning, have you thought of your relationship with the Lord and, and as a Christian, your, your, your faith as a Christian as being profoundly horizontal in addition to being vertical? And even if you're not a Christian and you don't buy any of this yet, haven't you noticed how relationships sort of seem to be behind everything that's most important to us, whether we like it or not? Even if you're someone who says, I don't need anyone, that anyone that you don't need seems oddly important to your existence, right? Like you're not sort of, you would almost like their people to know that you're not there. Even if you're someone who's like maybe deeply introverted and you're like, well, I don't like people, but you almost like, no, it's like, I'd like someone to know that I'm not there, um, at least occasionally, right? So, uh, and so to summarize, a, you've got a cosmically rebellious people against the creator God. That's where we were. Separated from him and one another. We're brought back into a family as the body of Jesus to pursue the restored relationships he's purchased with his blood while being aware that the enemy seeks to destroy us. Making the most of every opportunity, pursue our lives with God together as a people declaring the good news. And really, uh, as Tyler spoke about the, the armor of God last week, one thing I noticed in the study was that our, our weapon in this battle is almost the declaration of the word, the telling others of Jesus. This is our offensive weapon in the battle um, so that others can join the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not sure if you, have, you see your life through this lens uh, uh, or, or, you know, or if you have trouble seeing your life through this lens. You know, when you wake up in the morning, if this is the lens that you see your life through. But I know that I have trouble with this. I have difficulty waking up and remembering the terms of my life, right? The, the, uh, the, the way that I wake up in the morning. Am I seeing myself as a part of 
this story, which we know is the story. There's a lot of narratives that people are pushing about what's really going on. We know from God himself that this is what's going on at the very least or most fundamentally. But you and I need reminders of this. And certainly a gathering like this for us to be together is a reminder. And that's why it's so important for us to gather together. This is why your group, uh, a community group is so important because you need reminders and ways to be encouraged and reminded of this reality. But is there a way to maintain this view of life? Is there a way to maintain and remember the reality as we've been shown by the word of God? And as we see today, this is precisely what Paul will address. Is it a way to be reminded? So after talking about the armor of God, as we learned last week, he's basically saying, put on the whole armor of God. And then verse 18 in in chapter six of Ephesians. So that's uh, Ephesians chapter six, verse 18. So put on the whole armor of God. And then he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything, and I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's start with verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So grammatically, when you look at this verse in the Greek, this verse actually is syntactically connected the, the verb praying is actually connected with verse 11. And verse 11, it, talks, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So that word stand is actually where it's connected. So you would almost read it. The whole armor of God is almost this big other thing. And it's basically put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So he says, pray in the spirit at all times. Notice there's four alls in this passage, right? Put on the whole arm of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then he talks about keep alert. In other words, making the most of every opportunity. So this is kind of like when Jesus says in Mark 14, 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So he's talking about keep alert. Or like in Ephesians 5, 15, where we, we covered previously. Keep, look carefully at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So we gotta keep alert. But keep alert for what? Make the best use of time. For what? Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So how many of us assume that what we're keeping alert for or or what are the best use of our time, maybe what we need to be alert for is opportunities to advance ourselves, advance the goals that we have in our own individual lives or to self-actualize. Maybe it's opportunity in career or an opportunity uh, to make money an opportunity to 
uh, uh, meet new friends or have new experiences. But Paul, see, is reframing the priority of people who have been called out of darkness into light. Our alertness and best use of time are for prayer and supplication for all the saints. So intimacy with God, yes, for prayer, but also supplication, requests and prayers for others, especially in the family of God. How many of us approach a spare moment as an opportunity for fellowship with God and prayer for others? How many times do you kind of have that gap in there and instead you immediately have something else you turn to because I have a spare moment? How many of us have bought the lie that this is wasted time if we would spend it in prayer? I'll admit freely, I, as I was studying this passage this week and reading it, I've, I've really bought the lie. It's just, I, 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 my first thing that I think of are precisely things that I would either deeply enjoy or just, just basically pursuit of something that I will really have fun with in the moment. Or maybe it's uh, just reading something on my phone or catching up on a podcast. Like, oh, this is an opportunity. I can catch up on what's going on with the Miami Heat because I grew up in Florida and I really like that basketball team. So I can, I can catch, I got, I got time, right? Oh, I've got time. My kids are in bed. I've got time for... Uh, uh, you know, doing something else, pursuing something else, like looking into something else. And instead, I was like, man, do I ever turn towards, I have time to intercede for others. I have time to come to God with the requests of others. I have time to, inter- uh, 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 to, to make supplication for all the saints. I think people think about, uh, and you know, sometimes when you come up against something like that, you say, well, that's not realistic. That's hard to do. Uh, I'm not saying that obviously we can, um, I, have, I have this uh, 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 a story that sometimes I would tell in which we were with a group of friends and you know, everyone's kind of hanging out during college. Hey, what do you guys want to do? And then this person was like, why don't we pray? <laughs> and, and like, you know, it, it would just, and everyone there was Christian, but it was kind of like, uh, yeah, I guess we could, <laughs> we were like going to hang out, but you like made it into the praying, the Jesus juke, right? If you know that phrase. So I'm not saying that you have to do that. But, but certainly there is an orientation towards like, what do we spend our time towards? And it is a matter of perspective. You see, uh, uh, there needs to be some measure of understanding that what you are inclined towards, a lot of people are like, well, if I'm inclined towards something that's clearly bad, um, they'll be like, oh, that's sinful, that's wrong, I, I need to give that to God. But sometimes you're just inclined to like not do the thing that you're called to do. You're not inclined to love someone in the way you ought to or sacrifice yourself in the way you ought to or sacrifice your time and mental energy and focus towards praying to God for someone else. That is something that we can do. And I know this because I've seen people that do it. And I've seen some of you do that and live your lives that way. I know like my, my own mom is just, you know, uh, uh, been walking with Jesus like a long time. And the way I see her just calmly lay everything before the Lord, it doesn't matter. She's, she's, she, she utterly just leaves her concerns uh, uh, before the Lord and just says, well, and, and anything that I just even begin to get stressed about, she's like, you should just sit down and pray about it. And so this is something we can do. And it is, if I'm frank, a sin to repent of. We talk about things that we do, but also things that are left undone. And it is something to battle over, to pray and fast and seek God in solitude and with one another for. This is, uh, uh, these verses are a message to be constantly watchful and in prayer for all believers. The battle is for our relationship 
with God. And the battle is for our relationships with one another. Uh, And it's a battle to love one another in our families and friendships. And it's a battle to see our friends and neighbors follow Jesus. That's the battle. You know, we pray every week before service downstairs uh, at nine o'clock. And we are supposed to be people of prayer. And right now, if you're on setup team, you usually join that time to pray for the church and intercede for our gathering this morning. And I would say, uh, maybe some of you need to make things like that a priority. Maybe you are, you're like me. You have trouble praying by yourself on some regular clip. You know, you're just having trouble getting that going. Maybe you just need to be at more places that people are praying. And so let me encourage you, you know, if you want to come on Sunday morning at nine o'clock, uh, unless, I don't, I don't know, maybe some of you have something going on right exactly at that moment, but I don't encourage you. Uh, you can make it a priority to be uh, at something like that. I was talking to one of our brothers in this church uh, who is, very busy, right? And if I talk to someone who's like busier than I am uh, in my work and they're like, well, work's really busy, I have a hard time saying like, well, you should sacrifice, right? Because I know they're already working a lot harder than I am uh, in some of the demanding careers that you guys are in. But this brother I know was working, I mean, a lot. And he talked about just making, walking with the people of God a priority, making his time in community group a priority and that losing sleep was worth it for him to do that and make it a priority. And that has been, that was a huge blessing to me. And maybe for some of us, um, it needs to be, be a priority. I do want to pull back and say some of you are very, um, uh, I think the wrong group of people may take that and hit themselves over the head and sleep even less. And you maybe can relax, but there are others of you who are like, that's for someone else. I'm talking to you. Like, so if you're not good at doing that, you get what I'm saying? All right, all right. I just wanted to, Beck's up there. Someone's going to work like extra hard and die this week and it's going to be my fault. Um, sorry. All right, so... All right, so the battle's won through the power of spirit and accessed through prayer. The armor of God, all of that is sort of, prayer is the bookend, right? You're gonna stand praying and the armor of God's in between these verses, right? So you keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, praying for one another, for the church, for your leaders, and for the people of God. You see, even Paul, wanting them to know about the incredible love of God in chapter three, he doesn't just tell the church about the love of God in chapter three. What does he do? He prays, right? 3.14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. If you're having trouble with faith, if you notice there's someone who's struggling in their walk with God, yes, you should talk to them. Yes, you should find out a way to encourage them, but you should pray for them because even Paul is not exempt. Even in the letter, he's writing a letter to encourage them to be walk closer with God, but in the letter itself, he's praying so that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength Where does strength come from? He is praying for God to give them strength, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The battle is won through the power of the Spirit, and it's accessed through prayer. Now listen, I have really, really struggled with prayer for the last, like, 10 years of my life, and I know kind of where it at least originated, chronologically. And it was from a really disappointing season of ministry prior to coming to City on a Hill. And so I kind of know where it comes from. And and if that's you today, if maybe there was a season of your life, you earnestly prayed and asked God for something. You really wanted his help in something. And it it felt like you, he he just did not respond. And there's a deep sense of disappointment. Like, I understand that. 
And I, and, I, and I still feel the effects of that time. However, what I found in my time here at City on a Hill is that it's also been a great time to ask others to pray for me. And I found that I have been carried along by the prayers of the saints the last 10 years, even as I've struggled to reignite my time with God and really interceding for others. And I'm so grateful for those of you that have prayed for me, just being in a community group or being my friend or being with me. And, and it's weird is that one thing God has done in the last 10 years is restore my faith in what he does through prayer. It would be strange to be in group and say, hey, you know what we should do? We should just pray for one person to become a follower of Jesus through our group this year. And we just like do it. And then like the next week, my friend from high school showed up that happens to live nearby. Like, I mean, that I never shared my faith with uh, in high school. And he was living nearby and he just showed up. Uh, God can work through the prayers of the saints. Maybe you already are like, I need something to do about this. Maybe you need to fill out a connection card and just ask. There are people who read the connection card prayer requests and pray for you. Maybe this is just the first thing you need to do is fill out a connection card and ask for pray, prayer. Maybe you need to pray with someone right after this gathering and ask for a heart to pray and to, and to draw closer to God. Maybe there are others you need to pray for. I, I remember someone in my family in a really flourishing time of their faith, the one like really remarkable thing that they would do is like they'd always be in conversations with people, you know, during church, after church, whatever. And I just always noticed that this person in my family was always like, Suddenly they'd talk and then they'd be, all of a sudden they're sitting down and praying with that person over whatever had just, they'd been discussing. And I thought that was a really, really amazing thing. And so uh, uh, just having that attitude and posture towards constantly wanting to pray for one another, wanting to pray for other saints, wanting to pray for those in the church. Uh, it's, it's, it's extremely important. And that's what kind of the word of God has for us. Uh, one thing I've, I've, I've thought about, like what's the number one thing you do when you have a second, like most of us? Right, we pull out our phone, and you just whatever's there is what's there, right? So uh, you could uh, get rid of your phone. That's possible. Uh, probably most of you will not do that. Um, but one thing you can do is is at least use understand the technology and 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 move it towards maybe the things that God wants you to do. And so what I did is I actually set up this widget on my phone. That's if you can see, it's like maybe more than half the screen, and I set it to a, a reminder list. That's just prayer requests that people kind of bring my way during group or during other times. And at least when I'm swiping through, I see stuff that I should be praying for others for. And I will say that at least that has resulted in more net times of me actually praying for these requests and praying for people instead of whatever icons I've decided to let, uh, you know, occupy my time in my life. Um, whatever you get alerts for on your phone is what you, are, you want to be alert for, if that makes any sense. And so what is it you want to be alert for? Uh, uh, think about your technology and the way that uh, you structure your life, especially your technology and, and where your focus is going. And so we keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints because the battle is won through the power of the spirit and accessed by prayer. Another story, I, I remember talking to one of the students that I led in Bible study at my last church. And I was just talking to him. He's a missionary son. I said, hey, um, you, have a, you have any family? He goes, oh, I have a brother. I go, Oh, what's your brother like? Is he like you? He's like, no, no, he's way more holy than me. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, what does this mean? And he says, well, and it's his younger brother. He says, well, my brother's in college and his freshman year, he moved into his dorm and everyone in his dorm was not a believer. So he's like, he, he didn't tell anyone this. He's like, he only tells me because I'm his brother, but he would wake up at five every morning before anyone else woke up and he would pray for every single person in his dorm. 
And, he, and then he's like, he wouldn't talk to them about this. He would just pray for every single one of them to know the Lord. And then he would go hang out with them and play basketball and do whatever. And I was like, well, well what happened? And if you're like me, I'm like, well, you know, the miracle is like, like one guy, like one guy, you know, like, oh man, that's amazing. He said like almost every single person in his dorm that year, by the second year, like we're Christians, right? This just happened. But he woke up every day at 5 a.m. And he said, this is the goal. I'm just gonna do this. I'm gonna lay them before the Lord. Uh, Pastor Aaron Peters from Brighton uh, several months ago shared how he, at the beginning of the year, prayed for three people he knew to come to know the Lord. And one was like a family member. One was like his, the building manager of his apartment, right? And then the third, I can't remember. But he prayed for those three people to know the Lord that year. And all three of them came to know the Lord that year because he prayed for them. He made supplication for them because the battle is won through the power of the spirit and accessed by prayer. So let me ask you, what situation, what situations have we stopped praying for or asking for prayer for? Because it's, it's, it seems to be somewhat fruitless or we don't see what's going on. Uh, how much do you actually pray for others in your community group? You know, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't be here if not for the prayers of others. I remember some of the, like this season I was just describing to you where I was deeply discouraged. I was not praying. And I remember getting a phone call from someone as I was going through it, and they said, I have been praying for you. I have been pulling for you, you know? And I know that they didn't see the fruit of that, but they just wanted, with conviction, you called me just to tell me how much they'd been praying for me. And I know that is why I'm like still here. Like that's why I made it. Some of you are here because people have been praying for you and you may not even know it. it we must pray for each other. And so in verse 19, Paul finally says, and also for me. Paul puts himself kind of last in the list. So, you know, he's, he puts others first, and then he, but he wants them to know how he's faring and he wants them to know how he's doing. But if you notice Paul's imprisonment, his circumstances, him being in prison, this is sort of the small news of the letter. It's, it's just, the, it's just the, the postscript. It's just the end here. Imprisonment for any of us would seem like the big news. He would tell you about the conditions, the majority of the letter. Here's how I'm doing, guys. It's like the last few verses. It just seems a bit smaller. He calls himself an ambassador in chains. Oh, I, I'm, I'm not a prisoner. I'm just, I'm just an ambassador in chains. He's, he sees it as an opportunity because if God is in control and if God is sovereign, then he's not in prison losing opportunities. He's not in prison like not able to do what he was meant to do. He can make the most of that opportunity and do exactly what he was called to do. And that's what he's asking for the help of the saints is to be able to see things as he ought to. And he's asking for prayers to help him see the opportunity he has before him, which is to represent the gospel uh, to the Roman government, right? Because at this point, uh, Christianity was seen as just sort of a weird cult sect of Judaism, right? Like they didn't understand that this, was, uh, uh, that this was kind of something different. So he saw himself really as an ambassador to explain the faith uh, to the wider world. Uh, but he also understands this opportunity. But he's like, I need your help to pray for me so that I could see things the right way and understand myself as I am an ambassador in chains. You know, this is our first unmask optional week. And a lot of us in the last two years had a deep sense of loss of opportunities. Uh, a lot of things that we, you know, we didn't get to do. And I will say admittedly, uh, that, and that's, that's real, but I didn't, I, I didn't allow this truth to permeate me and say there are opportunities here that God has for me, even if, I'm, if I have to stay here, even if I can't be with I remember being deep in discouragement of like, I can't do anything. We're supposed to be a church. Where I'm supposed to like do things 
the, as a pastor, but he cannot do. And instead, I didn't understand. You know, Paul can sit in a, in a, in a, in a, Paul can sit in jail and call himself an ambassador and change and just ask for prayer to do that the right way. Paul needed encouragements and prayers and reminders. So verse 19, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. How many of us pray uh, for our leaders? Uh, we went, during the pandemic, we had maybe 13, 14 community groups and we went down to seven or eight, I believe. And honestly, a lot of it was because a lot of leaders were burned out during the pandemic. It was just a really tough season if you're trying to keep a group of people together, quote unquote, but you're doing it through a Zoom call and there's just like, oh, you weren't on Zoom. Ah, okay, right? It was very, very difficult. Uh, leading is difficult. And I know for Tanya and I, that was a really, really difficult thing. So that, that's why we're not leading a group this year, honestly, because it was a very difficult season. How many of us pray for our leaders? I am embarrassed by how little I have been doing this, praying for our leaders. Paul says, I ought to be speaking boldly. So even Paul is recognizing, I need God's help. He's a broken saint like the rest who needs prayers. Our leaders need prayers as well. We're supposed to make supplication for all the saints. What about you? you each of us has a person, a place, people we see every day who need the Lord. Each of us needs to be in prayer for one another. Others' help comes through your prayers for them. Do you understand the part you play when you show up and you're present, right? Uh, one of the things about community group that I will say is that for the first several years, we just like, it wasn't something we were like really jazzed up to go to, okay? Just so you know. Especially in a church like ours where we're really trying to be a group of people that are pretty different from each other and we come from all over the country and all different experiences and uh, walks of life. Sometimes you, you don't really look forward to this time. And yet I know that those times of prayer spent with others were not wasted. I know that they were the foundation by which we exist and stand here today. I know that they are important. The battle is won through the power of the spirit and accessed by prayer. As we wrap up this passage, uh, verse 21, so that you also may know how I'm doing, how I am and what I'm doing. Ticky Kiss, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. He'll tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. So this is kind of an aside to the main point of this, but I want you to notice this. He's basically saying, trust what Tychicus says about how I'm faring. So trust this brother sent by me. As a side note, see the information of this letter, the, the letter to the Ephesians is confirmed by an embodied brother, an embodied person who comes and actually says, Paul says, trust this guy who is present with you. And I think in this age of unembodied information and things coming from all kinds of directions, there's something important about trusting who's with you. Do I know every fact about what's going on in the world? No. Some of you probably know certain things that are going on in the world fairly well. And I'm sure others of you believe with the same veracity that you know the exact opposite facts of the same matter, you know, of what's going on in the world. Do we know every fact? No, we're not omniscient. We are not God, but we can trust the word of God and we can trust what our brothers and sisters have seen with their own eyes and can confirm. Even Paul sees this principle. He says, yeah, I'm gonna write you this letter, but I'm also sending you a brother who can actually say, I saw Paul and I saw what happened here. That is really, really important. This is why gathering is important. 
It's why being here is important. It's why if you're online, it's really important that you're here with us when you can and in any way possible if you can. It's why being in community groups is important. It's why if you're a covenant member, going to member meetings is important (laughs) because you can't be discipled through just letters. Even Paul's like, I'm sending you literally words that will be in the Bible one day, but I have to send a person that can talk to you and be with you and confirm what is going on. You have to be present. You have to be with others. Verse 23, peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a benediction. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Notice the relational blessing. He mentions love three times. Love with faith. Love our, with, with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Right? And so, uh, as, we, as we enter a time of communion now, I want, let, let's think about what we've heard here in the word of God. Let's remember that our Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, he took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, the cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. The reason we meet and gather is to remind ourselves of who we are. And every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes. And so we're gonna have a time of communion. If you're a believer, this is a time for us to reaffirm who we are and that we are with one another in this place, taking these elements together, gathered as the church. And take this time. You know, uh, they'll be singing a song, but take some time. It's, It's okay to take time and not sing the song. If you need to pray, if you need to confess, if you need to pray for those around you in this room, of those in your group, if you need to find someone in this room that you want to pray with because you know them and you want to connect with them, do that. You could pray for the body of Christ near but also far. We spent some time this morning praying for, for those who are in the church in Ukraine, right? There are people near and far that we can make all supplication for at all times, in all places. Pray for God to keep us alert, for us to make the best use of time in light of his return. Resolve to pray more for others and with them. Maybe you need to grab someone after this gathering rather than just talking with them. Uh, Confess if you've bought the lie that the prayer is wasted time. Ask for protection for you and others from the enemy's attempts to thwart our prayers. The battle for our relationship with God, the battle for our relationships with one another, the battle to love one another in our families and friendships, and the battle to see our friends and neighbors follow Jesus. The battle is won through the power of spirit. The battle is won through the power of the spirit and access through prayer. Let's stand together and I'm gonna pray for us and we'll enter this time of communion. You're praying. If you're not a believer, we'd ask that you refrain uh, because this is an expression of who we are as the body of Christ. If that's not your commitment yet, if you have not yet yielded and said, this is my worldview, this is what I believe, this is who I bow down to is the King of Kings, Jesus, then we ask that you not take that. It's not an expression of who you are. We ask that you take the, go out the door to my left and come around and take the elements. Uh, we're not allowed to keep food or drink in here, so take the elements before you come back in. And let's, let's, let's spend some time with our Lord and with one another. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for convicting me this week. I feel like I've prayed more for others this week than I have in such a long time. Thank you that you even use something like that to break me out of 
a, a spell of dryness. Lord, we pray for one another here. We pray that we might draw near to you and be the church you've called us to be. You have us here for a specific time and purpose as a people in this neighborhood for this season, and you want to see more people come to know you. You want to see a neighborhood transformed and people's lives transformed one at a time. You want to see us draw close to you as your sons and daughters. You want to show us how not independence but mutual dependence through the supplication for one another is the means by which you want us to draw close to you. Others are waiting for our prayers. You're waiting to answer those prayers. God, would you make us a church that prays? Would you make us a church that seeks to win the battle through asking you for help? God, I pray for protection over our times, uh, the gaps we have in time, and the way we see our opportunities in spare moments. Would you make us people who are deeply in prayer for one another, that are drawing close to you, and who are interceding for those both far and near? Thank you, God, for speaking to us and for being with us and for being our God. I pray all this in the name of Jesus.